0: up on Mike Matheson yes he was terrible yes there's no denying that but there might actually be some semblance of reason as to why he was acquired over the summer good morning to you good thursday morning i'm dan kovacevic of dk pittsburgh sports and this the newly reborn dk sports radio podcasting network coming to you from philadelphia where the penguins lost their season opener, 6-3 to three to the Flyers here last night. It was a strange game on several fronts. And I'm fortunate enough to have experienced the thing pretty much right down at ice level. The Flyers, unlike a lot of other sports teams, decided they don't want to use their press box in this setting. So they put us like right down by there behind those tarps that I'm pretty sure you could see on TV. And the only reason I'm sharing that with you is that I can attest to the fact that the game was of a faster pace than I'd expected. It was a little bit crisper than I'd expected, although it was far from crisp. And that both teams undeniably went at this hard. I would say from the Pittsburgh standpoint that that was encouraging and a lot of other things were encouraging about this game. Not the score and not several other components to how this came down. But some of it, some of it maybe even most of it would go on my bright side from the Penguins as opposed to the negative. Now, the negative, oh, my goodness. You know, we knew about Matheson from the moment the Penguins traded Patrick Hornquist to get him this summer. We knew that everyone saw The talent, everyone saw the natural skating ability, uh, the shot, the offensive instinct, the ability to recover when he makes a mistake, but then they also saw the mistakes. And it's really hard to disguise mistakes of a certain magnitude in any sport. Matheson, on Philadelphia's very first goal, positioned himself next to James Van Riemsdyk in front of Tristan Jari, but without moving JVR, without really attempting to move JVR, without even getting position under JVR's stick, but at least he also was screening Jari as if he meant to. There's a trifecta or a hat trick plus or something like that in there of ways to not defend the front of your net. He was out there on the PK, mind you. I took all of that to mean further that Mike Sullivan, Jim Rutherford, and everybody really see value in this guy getting a chance and in this guy succeeding because that talent is there. But part of me wonders about the process of bringing him along. How do you do that? How do you do that? How do you undo some of the things that he did in the game How do you dissect the game and determine what all really was his fault and what wasn't? On the second goal that the Flyers scored while he was out there, he didn't play it well. Joel Farabee picked up the puck after a Pittsburgh turnover, and Matheson just gave him way too much room. Farabee goes... Essentially right around him and then around Tristan Jari for a stuff that arguably Jari could have challenged a little bit better too. But when I say Pittsburgh turnover, I didn't mean Matheson. It was Jared McCann who otherwise had a terrific game. All Jared needed to do was to poke the puck up the boards. He didn't. He tried to skate his way out of the zone. Philadelphia took it off of him. Boom. Goal at the end of the period. Soul crusher. The other goal that Matheson was out there for was, man, there wasn't anybody on the rink who wasn't responsible for that goal. It was butchered so badly by so many people, uh, not least of whom was Matheson's partner, John Marino, who had a rough night, Jake Gensel, who was late and slow getting back. Jake had kind of a late and slow night overall. And then you take a look at the advanced analytics and Matheson showed to be on the ice for more shots for, more chances for than he was against in either category at 5-on-5. So, look, he was still bad. I'm not altering the stance here. I'm saying that there's reasons... The coaches like him. There's reasons Rutherford liked him. And there's reasons that they're going to keep playing him, even if big mistakes, glaring mistakes, singular mistakes like that, or those, happen. And that's because they're prioritizing, with this guy, ceiling. Look, I'm not any different than you in covering this game, watching this game, in thinking that if the Penguins had just gone with their ordinary third-pairing, fourth-pairing guys, meaning Chad Ruedel and Uso Ricola, and they didn't use Matheson or Cody Ceci, who was equally regrettable in his own way, they win the game. I'll bet they do. The Penguins, again, played pretty well, certainly through two periods. All they needed out of their third pairing on defense was to, you know, not be noticed. Don't be a thing. But then when I think of it that way, I also think, wait a second. In 2019 and 2020... If someone tells you that your third pairing is Weedle and Ricola, what are you saying about whether or not the team got better? You know, you had to try something, and you had to try something within the constraints of the cap that you have. There isn't anyone in hockey who would doubt or who would balk at the notion that Matheson is one of the better skating defensemen in the league. He's also a character guy. He's got doesn't have issues of like not caring about playing defense. That that's not him at all. There are guys like that in the league who are really really talented offensively and just think eh, I don't need to do this. That's not him. He just makes mistakes. So how do you address that? What do you do? How do you handle that if you're Sullivan? He's not coming out of the lineup, okay? How do you do that, but especially in a shortened season? I asked Sullivan about Matheson after the game, and and as you'll hear, I felt obligated to preface this because I didn't want Sullivan to get the impression that I'm sitting there watching one game and thinking, wow, this guy stinks, Sully, what are you going to do about him? So here's the way the exchange went. Not to bury a guy after one game by singling anybody out, but I'd like to get your assessment of Mike Matheson's night, both good and bad. Meaning, you know, the stuff that he did well that you wanted to see, and the stuff that he didn't. Well, he skates really well. I think he, I, I think that's evident when you when you look at his mobility and uh, you know his ability to, to get back to pucks and his gaps because he's uh, he's such a mobile guy. You know, Mike's trying to get used to the the type of game that. We're, play um we're going to work with him here through this beginning part of the season to try to help him simplify his game in certain areas of the rink but uh you know he's to mike's defense he's you know he's trying to learn some of the concepts and the way we're trying to play here so um you know i i don't think uh i don't think mike got the benefit of any puck luck tonight as well and and that certainly didn't help him i meant what i said to the head coach i'm not here to bury the guy. But I see some problems in the short term with Matheson and the usage of Matheson. One, I really don't like him paired with Marino. Not just because of yesterday. I said even before the season started when Sullivan switched up his pairings, I did not like taking Marino and Marcus Pedersen apart. That made no sense to me. If you're trying to protect Matheson, don't do it at the expense of this kid because he's way too valuable, meaning Marino, and for that matter, Pedersen. They have a good thing going together. Leave them alone. If you're going to have a third pairing that struggles or needs maintenance, that's a different story. Play them less. Don't put them out there on PK. Two, there ain't much time, kids. You know? That game's over and there's only 55 left. And everyone agrees it's going to be a tough division. This isn't a situation where Sullivan and everyone else can just say, you know what, let's just see how this goes through October and we'll review it in November. It's not that kind of season. If the Penguins fall markedly behind in the East Division race, there won't be any coming back. Matheson's ceiling, while it's commendable and worth pursuing, isn't worth that. It isn't worth throwing a season away. So there's some there's some hard thought that's got to be given to this and in and, and, and the best of all worlds, Sullivan and Todd Reardon look at that film from last night, determine what Matheson really did wrong and how that can be fixed in very short order. When we come back, just one question. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. back time for just one question that's always brought to you on this program by warrior alpaca socks what makes these socks different is the alpaca fiber used in their construction it's stronger softer far less irritating to the skin more breathable warmer than wool and hypoallergenic from outdoor work socks to cozy bed socks to lightweight diabetic compression socks they all look and feel great here's how to get them and how to get them in a special way go to warrioralpacasocks.com and use the code dk to get 15% off your first order one more time that's warrioralpaca alpaca socks scom and use the code dk To get 15% off your first order. That's a special deal just for our podcast listeners. And this is the time of year to be warming up. Take that from somebody who sat last night in a nearly empty arena, Wells Fargo Center, and was freezing, freezing, down at ice level like that and you know heat rises and everything else here in a press box setting where press boxes usually are you know way up by the roof it tends to balance things out a little bit let's just say that typing and uh everything else was a little bit more challenging than the norm which leads me perfectly actually into today's just one question it comes from gt who asks Was the fan noise in the arena or just over the TV? Well, I can answer half of that GT because I have no idea what they were doing on television. We don't have access to audio, video, anything. Uh, Even in a normal press box setting, we don't have that. We're just there watching the game. But in the arena, I have to say that I thought the Flyers did it terrific job uh, with everything. Uh, It's made for TV. Of course it's made for TV. There are no fans in there. Actually, I I take that back. There were three fans who were invited. They were uh, frontline coronavirus medical workers, uh, people who had really contributed to the Philadelphia community. And both the Flyers and the Penguins gave them a Uh, A a long, loud set of stick taps just before the game. They were watching. uh, Gritty was watching. Trying to think who else was there. Lauren Hart, the Flyers' fabulous anthem singer uh, for the longest time. She was there. And, yeah, that's it. Like media guys. That's it. So you could hear everything in the place. Uh, was there some artificial crowd noise? Yeah, there was this one thing that they did that was like a constant murmur, like even uh, during warm-ups or during breaks where it would just be a sound, you know, where you just, you could, this ambient sound, like one of those like Enya things that you play to try to put yourself to sleep. And they also played very loud music. My goodness. Uh, Between the music and the goal horn, which went off obviously six times for the home team, it was so loud that it couldn't have felt very different uh, to anybody involved. Uh, Mark Jankowski was asked about that after the game, and he said honestly, when you're when you're on the ice, you just kind of tune everything out. I mean, we know that there aren't fans there; we realize that, but at the same time, you just get so locked in on the game. And he mentioned too that the Flyers did a pretty nice job. Uh, was there crowd noise that was pumped in that was specific? Yeah, the Flyers did a couple of "Let's Go Flyers" chants. They didn't do as many of them as I thought they would, and they didn't do. Uh, orchestrated cheers or, oh, the way I thought that they would and the way we've seen it uh, in other sports. And they also have, as ever, the ridiculously delayed, awkward goal reaction. There's nothing in coronavirus times that has stood out more than that. Team scores, they know it. Their arms go up and... And I'm again, because I'm down there at ice level, I'll hear someone like, I heard James Van Riemsdyk scream, yeah, whatever. I heard Brandon Tanev when he came off the bench before his, his terrific goal, that, that snipe he had off the top far pipe. Hey, 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 three times to Jankowski. Uh, I was getting ready to pass him my laptop. He was so open and screaming so loud. It's it's a different setting. Uh, I don't think it's going to last for very long, uh, at least not in most places. Uh, You're going to see eventually these restrictions, and I think sooner rather than later in Pennsylvania, uh, lighten up where you'll get to see some fans come in, 2,000, 3,000, whatever it is. Um, And when they do that, GT, you're not going to hear anything pumped in, whether it's in person or or on TV. It's just it's not needed. It's not necessary. In in fact, it ends up being really awkward and kind of unfair to the people who are there and trying to make extra noise. That's especially been my experience in covering NFL games. Uh, When they let 5,000, 6,000 people into a 50,000, 60,000-seat stadium You think they can't possibly make up the noise, and they don't, but they sure try. So hope that answers your question. It was a strange, strange night. My first indoor event covered in coronavirus time, and hopefully all this stuff is over soon. Thanks for the question. Thanks for listening. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll do this again tomorrow. I'm staying here in Philadelphia for the duration.